0: Now, he's teaching children here <laughs> and, and adult amateurs, and uh, he, he was given to me because they couldn't make a lesson horse out of him.
1: Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere, a place where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley, in the northwest of Brisbane. Australia. This land I live on is Waka Waka and terrible country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my respects to their ancestors, past, present and future. And I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. In this episode, I speak with Farah Dejanette. Farah runs a horse property in North Brookfield, Massachusetts where she teaches people about holistic or whole horsemanship where it takes a village to keep your horse happy and healthy and everyone is as important as the next including nutrition dental bodywork and training methods Farah is doing an amazing job educating people on all aspects of keeping your horse happy and healthy but the most important thing we must all begin with is listening to your horse I recorded this at 5am my time, so if you're wearing headphones, you may hear the kookaburras waking up and the butcher birds making their morning song. You may even hear my dog, Bell snoring in there somewhere. This is a long one, so I won't take up too much of your time in the intro. I'll let you settle in and enjoy the ride. Here is Farah. Farah, thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
0: No problem. I'm happy to do it.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time, and I've had quite a few people write to me and ask me to interview you. So I'm really, really happy that we're getting this opportunity. Can you first tell me a little bit about what it is that you do?
0: Well, currently, where I am in my path in the horse world is I found what I call my whole approach to horsemanship. And um, it was, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So things tend to evolve because they if you allow them to evolve they they sort of become what they need to be so i never set out to do all the things i do but to become the best horseman that i could be it became you know the tools that i that i came into my path wound up being part of what i needed to to incorporate to to do my my sort of style of work which meant that i did not Just look at, you know, trainers are sort of programmed, you know, to say, oh, the horse can't canter on the right lead, or, you know, he's got bad manners or something, or, you know, something's not right. And, you know, they just go, can you fix it? And then what I learned was that rarely was the problem a training issue. It could be everything from dietary to body problems to, you know, obviously all the things a lot of us know, tack fitting, all that stuff. But what I found is that people were not looking at those things enough. And there's not enough information out there to help the average person, especially navigate. You know, what my main work is about is about empowering owners, especially the average amateur owner, because, um, you know, there's They need to get information so they can empower themselves to um, follow their intuition a lot of times because they get too many mixed opinions. And, um, you know, the teaching that I do and the workshops and clinics that I do are about empowering owners on all these areas, Um, the diet, the wellness, the hooves, the training. The training is a big part, obviously. The relationship with the horse, knowing that the relationship with the horse has to be good the health of the horse has to be good at all. It's all important, you know, to the the whole horsemanship. So um, teaching about those facets that each one is important. And Mm -hmm. what I try to do is get people to think about, you know, in the horse world, I hear, you know, I'm very much aware of what, you know, the sort of trends in the horse world and who's preaching what. And, you know, what I find is a lot of people sort of fixate on, Oh, this, this thing's going to fix your horse. So, that thing's going to fix your horse. And that herb and that saddle and that trainer and this, and it's the magic thing. And it works
1: <laughs> so, for every single horse out there, no matter what the breed, no matter what the discipline, no matter anything, that will fix every horse.
0: It's the magic thing. And that's, and they're doing a people a disservice when they do that. You know, my equine dentist is very important to my program, my hoof trimmer is very important to my program. The equipment I use is very important to my program. The herbs I use is very important. My holistic vets are, you know, priceless. And not one of them can fix my horse. All of them, including me, help my horse. Yeah.
1: It's not
0: one of them. One, each one has an important role in the programs that we do here. And I can't do what I do without them. And I find that that's what I try to help people is find your teams of yeah. people. because. You've got to have, and they've all got to talk to each other. So what I set up at Ohana was um, the important place where we were all our practitioners are of the same mind. So we're not arguing because we all have been through this. (laughs) So I try to keep my clients having cohesion and the advice that I'm giving trying to, you know, recommend practitioners that aren't going to butt heads with your other practitioners, because this is very stressful for everybody, Mm. Uh, you know, trying to create a program where all of your people, um, what do we say? We put our heads together. We don't knock them together.
1: (laughs) I like it.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, when I made Ohana five years ago, this is my fifth year. Um, it's been quite a journey. Um, I needed a place where I could create. I call them my dream team. Bless them all. But each person, you know, comes here when we get a horse in our care. Uh, you know, what what ultimately morphed out of my work was as many of the great practitioners that I, I've studied under and worked under is we want we wanted to be effective for our horses. We needed to have them for more than just a three-day workshop, or uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, you ship your horse in for a a little tune-up or a lesson and i'd say well you know really we've got to get these hooves in check and we've got to this diet's not really working for your horse and there's a lot of stuff we want to get in could you leave him here for a few months yeah (laughs) so uh yeah and some of them are here permanently but um yeah uh it it allowed me this that phase that i've gone in um my people in australia I, i was visiting there more frequently before i have called everything bbf before farm yes. <laughs> i was traveling a lot more but i don't, i want them all to know all the people that i'm doing very good work here on this farm and i've helped a lot of horses and I, I i would like to get out and travel again uh i think i'll be more free in the upcoming years uh things are more more um cohesive here now where we have you know in, a, in its rhythm so, uh, yeah, I would like to get out and do more workshops again. And also, the last five years at this farm have been very much, um, I call it my laboratory. <laughs> so I have been able to implement things because I have the ability to, to do my program here, to see it work and actually see it in action and see what really works. And, and again, to,
1: that takes more than three days, doesn't it? So five it days. It takes more day. than it's like a yeah. degree. That's the time people do degrees in at university.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's really, it's also helping people understand that there are no quick fixes. For these horses that are really troubled, whether it's behavioral or it's physical, you know, there's, there are no fi- quick fixes, you know, and um, I'm out there combating right now, you know, I mean, some of the local trainers here like to give out, you probably have them there too, the 30-day guarantees which drive me crazy yeah. <laughs> because i say how can you guarantee that you're going to have a horse at a certain place in 30 days that means you are shortcutting and you are crashing that horse through what a lot of stuff and it means just so you can say to that person i've done my job here's your horse and that always makes me worry for the horse when i hear that yeah me too so, and the three day cult starting i don't I don't even know how that works. I'm just like, "How do you start a cult in three days i don't know <laughs> so I've watched it
1: it's, well, I've watched it it's too, hard but I, yeah
0: it's it's incredible because I have a cult here, my Lusitano cult who I got um you know he's uh coming three now, rising three, and you know he's I've had such a nice time with him, just sort of working with him here and there. And, Playing with him, and he's very well adjusted. Very, he was just trimmed. He's a three-year-old stud, and he was just trimmed at liberty in his paddock only moments ago. Beautiful. Mind you, I, my trimmer was just here, and I was thinking, look at that three-year-old colt. I was watching. I said, three-year-old stallion just standing there being trimmed at liberty. <laughs> you know, and, and that, uh, that's
1: the difference between um, give time, build relationship, and put so much pressure on that the horse will do anything to get out of the situation and comply.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just, um, I think what's hard right now, the, the state of horsemanship is very, um, very much trying to help people move away. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, I know it in some ways, but, you know, we're being sold a bill of goods in the horse world. And I see it quite globally with these horse contests and these training contests and these, you know, Mustang and Brumby makeovers and, you know, all these things where it's all great entertainment. You know, and it helps trainers make names for themselves, but I always am finding myself going, well, what's in it for that horse? Yeah. You know, that just got crashed through that training in even a hundred days and is now doing flying changes and laying down and Spanish walk and, you know, and all the things that I've taken years to teach my horses. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, wow, that horse is doing that in a hundred days boy, his circus must be Fred. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. His nervous system must be, yeah. Must yeah. be under a lot of pressure. So did you grow up with horses? I really want to hear the story of how each thing came in and implemented and, and how you learned this. I think it's going to be a fantastic story.
0: Well, the thing that that is, important to know about me that I, as I always say to everybody I had to learn to rise the trot once upon a time yeah <laughs> and, right. you know and people come to me well, well I'm such a crap writer you know whatever I'm like hey, look we all are on a journey we were all there once yeah and I still take coaching whenever I can with people that are like-minded with me because there's always somebody better than you and you can always learn and that keeps me in the mind of the student which is really important because i keep myself struggling to get to the next level and i know what it feels like when my student comes to me and says you know i'll never get this you know or this is so hard and i can't fix my position and you know learning this thing but when i was a kid i was just like everybody else a little horse nut (laughs) and (laughs) i came from a family that was more artistic than um very much animal lovers but very art uh, art driven background and that's actually surprisingly people who have followed my story know that that actually was a huge impact on the style of trainer i became because i find um, rigid structure and you know tough you know very rigid training very hard to work with you know I'm a very more free-form trainer organic trainer and I realize that's a very artistic way of coming at horsemanship mm. and I train like an artist I realize I can admit this to myself now I, I'm an art trainer that's wonderful <laughs> so,
1: and within that though so being an artist doesn't mean you don't have discipline passion you don't get up you know do the, do the small things as well it just means you look beyond boundaries or there isn't really a boundary and you're willing to go deeper are you still a disciplined person do you still like you're still doing this and you've given this five years
0: oh yeah well the thing that that is what I'm very disciplined about is that classical dressage is the foundation of everything I do and you know the basis of all correct writing I still am very much clear about uh, biomechanically is you know, classical dressage, and I, th- that is what I where I draw from always. However, I've had the good fortune to work with people who were more artistic horsemen, who have taken horsemanship to an art, and are beautiful to watch, and, you know, it became apparent to me that when I watched certain horsemen, I saw beauty in their work, and I saw a poetry in their work, and I saw this way they were working the horse it had a certain feel to it and then there i see other people the cowboys i call them (laughs) the cowboys are rough and dust you know make dust make drama and you know the work that i was drawn to was people who a lot of them are artists in their own right and so uh, they resonated strongly with me and when i would watch them work they provoked a feeling in me of beauty in the the interaction with the horse and the rider and so when I watch any trainers, when I'm assessing, people ask me well, who I think of this rider or this trainer or whatnot, and I just say, well, if it looks harmonious and beautiful to me and everything feels good, then uh, they're doing something right, <laughs> you know. And it, it has a feeling. It's a feeling, and horses and riding, we all know, is about feel. Yeah. And so when I watch training methods, I say, well, how do I feel about this? Because <laughs> you know, it
1: will tell I, you more than what you think about it.
0: Yes, because it, interestingly enough, you know, the, I've seen this, the marketing to horse people is really interesting because we use words a lot of times, and a lot of people who have done um, psychology and the EFL work with horses, and we use words like congruent, what's congruent and what's authentic. And a lot of times you can watch stuff and you can say, you hear words that are being said that are not congruent with what's being done. Mm. And so that I watch for a lot because I'm I'm very much watching even with myself, you know, is what I'm doing congruent, you know, with my an authentic we talk about that in Good Horseman all the time, authenticity. You know, and um, keeping that you have to stay in touch with going back to the little girl the little girls that and the little boys that loved horses. You know, if you lose touch with that person, you lose touch with the horse. You know, you lose, you become, you know, someone who just wants something from the animal all the time.
1: Wow. Tell me more about that. I love that. So the inner child's the one that we all fell in love, the horse nut, you know, when we were younger. That's the one who stays in play mode and investigates. Is that what you're more saying?
0: It's just open and curious and your mind is like in wonderment and you're in awe of how cool horses are. I'm still mm-hmm. in awe of how cool horses are. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. And every day I sit on a horse's back and he doesn't chuck me off. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> you know? And I, I find there's so, you know I deal with obviously dressage is a very heady sport and people are so entitled they're just like, well, this horse won't do this, and he's bad and naughty, and I, I get so, my hair gets up about that kind of stuff all the time. I say, no, no, that horse is not here to do your bidding, you know, just because, I don't even care how much money you paid for him, it's just not, you're not entitled to him, <laughs> you know, yeah. his body, you know, and uh, and it's, it's funny because a lot of, I do get equine professionals coming to study with me who are wanting to grow and And expand and I love that because that makes me happy and um, the the ones that you know some of my peers who I'm friendly with and they're like oh what's all what's all that liberty work about you know we don't have time for that and I'm like oh that's a shame because it's really brought something back to my life you know before I was the traditional trainer going back to my history I rode hunter jumpers you know i've done eventing i've done western i've done everything i'm a, i'm a very much aware of all all horsemanship and i've come up through it and, and you did I, all
1: of those traditionally in the traditional methods
0: oh yeah i came i was a little kid that took normal riding lessons at the normal barn
1: yeah. and
0: i've even done gated horses I, not many people will know that i started with gated horses saddle seat horses wow because the barn i wound up at cuz you know my parents didn't know anything they said, Well, our kid needs lessons <laughs> and I was and I so I was in these these barns with um the I don't know if you have that so much in um the other countries as here, but the gated the very it's very inhumane actually I'm very against it right now. But um you know, they put terrible shoes on the horses and all in that high stepping action and all that stuff. But um yeah, that was my introduction with some Morgan's in that initially and even then I believe going to those competitions I was looking and I was thinking to myself this is not right as a little child not even understanding what was going on I knew it wasn't right Mm -hmm. and that the treatment of the horses was not congruent to me and you know you go to these shows when you're a little kid, and, and I wasn't actually in awe of what was happening. I was kind of scratching my head like, this seems a bit odd. <laughs> you know, like, uh, why, is, why is this happening to the horses? So um, then I, of course, as all kids, I feel want to be uh, either jumping or doing high-speed sports. I was very much that kid, so yeah. jumping called me. And of course, jim stuff and i 'm i 'm always in a bit of an adrenaline junkie, so those who don 't know my personal life i 'm an action sports person, and you know so I've definitely, i'm definitely i 'm not just a dressage person i have totally loved doing action sports and jumping and eventing, and I loved all of it, so I moved in that direction but again, very traditional and um, you know did my shows and small stuff and had little apprenticeships with various local, you know, the, the bigger, you know, trainers that we looked up to in our local areas and, um, did my apprenticeships and kept with it. And, uh, there was natural horsemanship was starting to come on as I was getting more, you know, I was just kind of coming up in my twenties and, uh, Monty Roberts was the guy and, uh, he was. He had written his book and um, I, it's it was funny because natural horsemanship in my world, I was erring towards the English side. So people were still very stigmatized by natural horsemanship. And they were like, who are these cowboys who are gonna teach our English horses? And so of course I was open-minded and I was like, well, what's this about this natural horsemanship, you know? And so I started looking into that and um, and I also had some good mentors, you know, along the way. And as a young trainer, those were the people that gave me tools, and I talk about tools all the time. you know the the best horsemen have vast tools, and in order to have vast tools, you have to be open minded enough to be able to study a lot of techniques so you you maybe don 't need that whole technique, but there's a really good exercise in there that will help a certain horse and you have that tool if you shut the door on a lot of different techniques and you say well i 'm only going to do this one." Technique, then you wind up, you know, with a lack of tools
1: mm, and being so, very limited in your outlook and your abilities. I love the toolkit,
0: yeah. And so, you know, you'll hear me say in my workshops a lot of times, This is horsemanship 101. I haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater. If someone brings me a horse that's behind the leg in his training, I go, well, that's basic horse training. A horse has to be in front of your leg. <laughs> you know yeah. That's not a natural, that's not dressage, that is just basic horsemanship 101. So, um, you know, there are certain things that we all can agree upon as horsemen on the basic training of a horse. How you get there is how you get there, but, you know, um, how you impart that knowledge. But, so, you know, there, so I had to say, okay, well, what do I, what do I agree with in traditional training what you know what you know the basic cues how do we cue the horses all that stuff but then so you know I started looking at Monty Roberts work and had some interesting experiences with that and then sort of moved on and um, I just kept moving on you know I I looked you know there we all know who the big names are in natural horsemanship they're big all over the world and I looked I looked at all of them and I saw what they were doing and I'm a critical thinker. And, and then I even went beyond them <laughs> and I went, okay, well, these guys are doing this. And then I said, well, what else is there? And I think that's where you start finding the great horsemen yeah. after you get past the rock stars, as I call them.
2: Yeah.
0: And, um, you know, you say, all right, well, this one's doing that. The, the thing that's important about knowing other people's work, is that if you have training systems that are influencing a large quantity of horse people, you must know all the systems to be able to help someone's horse. So if someone brings you a horse that's been and they've been very much plugged into a certain system of training and you have no clue what that training system is, you can't build bridges in where's the problem in the horse's training. Um, you know, you also need to know what the weak points are in other training systems. So, you know, if someone says, well, I'm having trouble with this horse, they say, well, yeah, that's a weak point of that training system. You know, so you understand how to bring the horse forward and help the person. So it's important to know all the systems of training and know what their results are and know how to help people with them as mm. a trainer. So You're not in the dark when someone says, well, this is what I've been studying, you know, for my yeah. whole or if someone even comes to me riding very German style dressage, I say, Well, I know this style and it's a very hard contact and very much, you know, heavy impulsion and it makes the horse go this way and uh you're having trouble with heaviness in your horse. So you wanna okay, so we need to we know what how this horse is trained and we need to change the way he's he's been trained now, to be lighter. You know, so it's important. And so throughout the years I spent from my childhood after I did what most people do and who are little horse nuts, you know, I just didn't stop. I just kept looking and I kept my, my interest in learning has never gone away. And my, it's important for my inspiration to keep finding people who, who are outside the box and who are very much, innovating in the horse world and I realized um not you know very early on that I was very interested in innovative trainers and not what everybody else was doing and
1: who was the first one you found when was it when was the first turning point
0: I think that actually um the first person I didn't realize how much she impacted me till way later but Linda Tellington was a great Um, I find her to be of an inspiration because one, she's like, I don't even know how old she is, but she's still globe-trotting around doing clinics. Mm. And she's got, you know, she started with, this is typical of a person I would follow. Um, She took Feldenkrais and made it for animals, you know, and that's innovative she took yeah. a system of something and then she helped ton and not just animal, you know zoo animals horses everything you know she she applied she took something and changed it the people I generally were super inspired by they took something they owned it and they made it their own and then they ran with it and um, Nuno Oliveira you know was famous for um, mixing together two schools of training and and mind you they all suffered for this because they all get told they're heretics for doing these things because, of course, people are not open-minded. Yeah, <laughs> so we're not. Combine, we're yeah, not. We,
1: we're changing, finally. We're
0: changing, right. Yes, I'll be positive about it. But <laughs> it's, it seems to me that all the great innovators, now Nuno Oliver is one of the most sought-after masters, no longer with us, but is considered one of the he was considered completely crazy for mixing up two schools of thought. And now you fast forward to the, the, the modern times and our best horsemen right now are combining usually three or four schools of thought and then you know kind of putting their spin on it so um you know he's he's one that I always looked to and admired and there are very specific people even though I use words like classical training or whatnot um there are very specific masters that I reference in my work It I there are not all the classical masters I reference there are some that I don't care for at all and there even with the French school which I air towards there's some French masters that I don't err, go uh, reference at all but um, you know so there's very specific people that I've gravitated towards who, who I feel are innovators and we're open-minded enough to look at a method and go you know I really like this method but I think it'd be really cool if we put this one with it and then made something new Mm. and so and that's basically what I've been doing which is studying people that had great tools to offer me and I was like wow I could mix this with that and it would make it even better yeah
1: and can you think of a horse when you first started doing this that really transitioned you and showed you that you're on the right path
0: well when the students ready the teachers appear yeah so I was you know, kind of doing traditional and natural horsemanship, what I call more mainstream stuff, you know, for a while. And I, there, there was a clear voice in me that was not okay with the methodology that I was seeing. Like, I, and there was a voice always in my, there's always a voice in my head that's saying there's gotta be a better way. Even now there's gotta mm-hmm. be a better way. <laughs> you know, when I watch stuff, if I watch stuff where there's the horses being, you know, treated in a way where I'm just like this is there's got to be a better way if I'm watching it and it's in my voice is saying, there's got to be a better way to do this that's what dri- drives me mm. and so so along came mercury and a bunch of warm bloods that were actually all from a similar place and they had similar bloodlines and they were all really difficult <laughs> and they came into my world all kind of on the heels of each other and they were going to be horses that you know with my old tools my traditional tools yeah you know, sure I knew how to work with them with traditional tools which is like all right we can use you know whatever training gadgets we want to use with these horses and all that and and I just I kept t- there's this the voice in my head that also says you know if I need gadgets I must not be, it, I must not have the tools that I need because I shouldn't need the gadgets. You know, if I know enough, I can figure this out without needing gadgets. And so I kept moving away from gadgets and I kept finding trainers that didn't use gadgets, more trainers that didn't use gadgets. And even that was the other thing with natural horsemanship, The you know, the magic sticks and the, the rope halters and the ramp pen. you needed those, those were the tools. Yes. You had to have those otherwise you wouldn't. And there was a voice in my head then that said, what's natural about that? Mm. And to this day, I still say, when have you seen another horse put a rope halter on another horse on a line? That is not natural.
1: (laughs) I've always had a problem with that word since the first day I heard about it. I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting.
0: What an interesting word they're
1: using here.
0: Yeah. And there's, and there's no horses can put other horses in rampens. Mm. And so so I don't take contest with it being a training method because I always say, well, this is a training method, but is it natural? Mm. Okay, so it it employs pressure, there's a release of pressure, so it's a conditioned response type of training and it and it has it, you know, people use it successfully. So it is it is a training method, just like clicker training is a training method and you know, traditional training is a method. Is it natural I take context yes
2: so
0: so I, I dare I step out on a limb where I started saying what is natural and the way I was working was with as little tools as possible if any my body language and a horse in an open place and I said this feels pretty natural that horse has nothing holding him to me he's not confined to a small space and he can leave the conversation if he wants to and I can't do anything about it (laughs) so I said that's pretty natural because that's like if I was out in the prairie or something and the horses said yeah I'm not really interested in this so can I get that horse to be interested in that conversation I've got no tools to coerce him I've only got some exercises I can do so it's just him and me and my body language and I got to see if I can get him to like my ideas (laughs) so (laughs) that's it so that's where I started I actually threw the gauntlet down on myself I said I've got these horses that are super good candidates for heavy duty restraints shank chains all kinds of things because they were doing things like rearing and you know difficult to handle and very spooky rodeo bucking and you know everything that you could think of they were doing and they were big warmbloods so mm-hmm. so when the when the student says gives herself this challenge the, the the student's ready the gauntlet's down here here's these four horses that are big and powerful yeah. <laughs> and and I'm I'm going to give myself this challenge I'm not going to use these methods that I know I can use I already know that I'm going to refuse to do this. And if it takes longer, and if it takes me this whole winter or whatever, I'm I'm going to get through to these horses without resorting to these things. I will not resort to these things. And that's where I grew exponentially as a trainer, because I made rules for myself. And I said, I will no longer allow myself to use these things because i don't want to because they don't resonate with me and i don't this is not the trainer i want to be and that's when there is a huge turning point in my training because Mercury,
1: you you have yeah. to do something different then don't you you've yeah. got that whole toolkit and you're like right that all steps aside and now i have to be the creative inventive it, it curious child that's where the child gets to come in and go I wonder how we can do this differently it's amazing
0: yeah and it helps me as a teacher it helps because I tell people they say I don't know how to do this and I said I don't know how to do a lot of things I do too I just go out and I go in the ring and I say well let's figure this out (laughs) yeah brilliant and it's okay to be that way we're afraid to not know the answer
1: Mm. until
0: it presents itself and that that moment where you sort of say i don't know you let yourself be free like my slogan is liberate your horsemanship it means let it go you know just go in there and play and work and you know it'll come to you it'll just happen you'll just start doing stuff if you're intuitive and you just kind of go you know you let your horse and you listen you watch your horse and you listen to what he's telling you your answers will keep coming in succession The problem happens when you go in and you've had all that information in your head from traditional and natural horsemanship and you go in and you go, he has to move his feet and he has to have this frame and that has to happen right now. (laughs) And and then the other side is the people who are like very relationship oriented and well, I want to have a great wish, but well, how come my horse doesn't like me and why aren't they staying with me and why aren't they following me around? They hate me. (laughs) <laughs> so and I go well, none of that's helpful. So just go in and be there and just be comfortable with whatever's happening. Expectation leads to disappointment always. Yeah. You know, it's okay to have goals, but you have to just be okay with the road that takes you there cuz you'll get there. If you if you're like I'm going to get to this place with my horse and you just make that statement you'll get there, but you have to let go of the timeline. You have to let go of the, how it is, what tools you're going to use, because then you are setting yourself up to go and, and explore and probably have an amazing learning experience. And you may even discover a new way of training something because you let yourself off the hook, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I feel like that's what I try to do for people is, is what I felt was done for me was, you know, And when I started finding these more outside-the-box trainers, they set me free from the constraint of this thinking that was like, it has to be this way. Mm. And to this day, when people come here, I said, there's no rules at Ohana, except for safety is not negotiable. (laughs) And if I think something is really unsafe, I'm going to say something about it. But basically, you do what you feel like you want to enjoy, if that's what you want to do, you know, just have fun with your horse. And, um you know, I think that there's a lack of that. Uh, you know, a lot of people come to my farm and they go, I'm at these barns and everybody judges me because I want to do this and that. And, and that's just a shame, you know, and it happens all over the world. The judgmental horse people.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. They're just, they can't just mind their business if you want to just go sit with your horse and just enjoy your horse and, you know, or you don't feel like riding that day or you, you know, you've rescued this horse that, you know, no one sees any value in which I wind up doing all the time, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then why'd you get that horse? You know, you could have got a nice young horse and uh, we have a barn full of horses here that have been given to me because the people knew that I could intervene on their behalf and uh, get them right again. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, the fact that people don't see value in a lot of horses, that, that's, it's sad that uh, horses are valued only for performance a lot of times and yeah, you know, what they can do for us.
1: Yeah, exactly. And also, if you really think about it, so if I think about the people that I watch that I think they've got a gift, I think the gift is the same in each of them. And their gift is the ability to listen to the horse to feel the subtleties like you were saying about feel, but it's even deeper than feel. If there's anyone I see in all facets of horsemanship over all these years, it's always that moment where they can feel and hear the horse basically as to what the horse is asking and needing and, and shift to that. And that doesn't come in traditional training and that doesn't come with a straight road that comes with exactly what it is you're talking about. So um, I love what you're doing because you're bringing the magic from the beginning and saying you've got to throw everything out and you've really got to get inventive here. And once you're able to connect with your horse in that way, then you're opening a pathway.
0: Well, it's funny because, you know, people, sometimes peer trainers of mine, you know, I'm quite well known for dealing with difficult horses at the farm. And, you know, some peer trainers of mine are like, well, what would you do for this horse? You know, I've got a difficult one here. And I said, Well, you'd have to send him to me because I need 30 days. And I said, I can tell you at the end of 30 days what I would do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I said, I cannot tell you without seeing this horse, without spending time with him, without taking care of him, without getting in his head and figuring out and having my team look at him and say, Yeah, this is, you know, there's a physical problem here or whatnot. You know, there's no, oh, I just do this exercise when horses buck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, yep. you know, the horses rodeo bucking and bucking everybody off and they're like, well, what would you do? I said, well, sure. I've, I mean, Mercury was a terrible bucker. I, yes, I fixed that. But, you know, it was a pass with him.
2: Mm.
1: And
0: other horses that bucked had different things. You know and there's I always it's really
1: important because you can go to Dr. Google and you can get twenty exercises that look really similar when a horse is bucking or when a ho- horse is striking and there are so many blogs written on these training techniques and yeah, uh, yeah it's it's well the the
0: thing that's the thing that's um, what you have the the inconvenient truth I like to quote uh, Gore on this R.L. our Al Gore. You read that movie, *The Inconvenient Truth*, about global warming, but I use that phrase all the time. There's an inconvenient truth around horses all the time, yeah. which means mm-hmm. that that horse, there is no magic fix for that horse. You it, there's no, you can send them to the 30-day trainer or whoever. That horse will backslide. After he will backslide, there is no two ways about it. it he, that you do not make lasting change with animals that way, and a training is a process and what what is really bothering me right now in the trends is these contests and things for training and they're just they're just you know they're making they we're going to lose sight of the art of horse training and the art of horsemanship which back in the day you took your time with a colt, you turned them out you'd start them you'd turn them back out you know and then bring them back in in the spring and then you'd play with them again and you weren't riding horses till they were four, you know, because you wanted them to grow, <laughs> you know. And
1: where and, did we lose all of that? That did. Yeah. We lost it so fast, though. And we lost it so fast that it became the norm to do it the other way.
0: Well, because we've become, you know, horsemanship is always a reflection of our culture. And our culture is, you know, we've got a lot of youngsters coming up who are just instant gratification. Yeah. You know, and so. You know they're ra- they're being raised in the technology era and you, yeah you just do stuff yeah. <laughs> there's an app for that <laughs> you know yeah. isn't the there a horse trading app yep. and <laughs> you can have it now yeah and, and isn't there apps for that stuff? Yeah. And, you know and things and so now technology is our friend because you know we can do these interviews across the world and we can yeah. teach and i can give my information across the globe because of technology which I'm eternally grateful for Mm. and I can also what's nice about technology is it allows us like-minded people you know when I realized that there were many people who thought the way I did in the world that made me feel very happy and that there was it wasn't just a bunch of Horse, weirdos in a corner you know <laughs> somewhere, and whereas there's only three of us, oh wait, there's more, yeah. <laughs> so and and it makes us all feel empowered that we're not alone in our thinking and we're not going to be bullied by these traditional thinking and you know, all of us know this is the way we've done it and that's how we do it. We
1: mm. this way. That's the whole point of creating this podcast was to bring the community together. And I wondered when I started, it's like, am I going to have enough content? Because I, my intention was always to go weekly and just go weekly, not to do seasons, not to do anything else, just start a podcast and go weekly. I was like, are there enough people in the world doing this? And I'm very happy to say yes and the the more my community grows, the longer the list gets so it's um it's fantastic to know how many people there are out there doing great work
0: yeah and and I and I yeah, now that I'm aware i you know I shared it on my page, and a bunch of my people were like, "Oh." cool a good podcast you know yeah people who are like-minded so it's even more spread the love
1: yeah uh, yeah yeah. now I want you to tell me a bit more about Mercury because I'd love to hear a bit of one horse's story and and how you've applied what it is that you're doing to a horse and and where they started and where they are now well he
0: was uh he was the first horse that I made a commitment to because I was still very much in my, I had one foot in both worlds when I got him. You know, was, I was I liked competition. I still enjoyed jumping. Um, I was coaching, eventing. You know, I had clients going to shows, and I still thought that that was something that I would like to do. Um, my I was very much focused on showing much more before I started doing workshops and clinics and um, taking. Students to shows and whatnot, so um, but in at a certain point, there was this sort of parallel path that was going on because my clients were letting me play with their horses, and I was able to you know play around with concepts and experiment with things and um, you know they I was able to produce the results with more than one horse, which was important to me too,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, to see uh, take horses that were difficult and everybody would want to train one way and then train them the exact opposite. By the way, that's what I tell people when they come and work with me. I just say, whatever you've learned, we are do everything the exact opposite way here. So if you just, accept that now you won't be running around going but but, but, but <laughs> and i go you just you just let it put it to the side now because that's right everything's the opposite <laughs> so yeah. everything i do is opposite and then it's okay because then you can just accept it and um and and that it makes total sense to me that i'm like that because i'm very contrary and i'm i'm a person that always asks why and and when I got enough confidence to ask why we did things certain ways. So I got Mercury and he was a very well-bred jumper. And I thought, well, you know, here's this horse that maybe I'll, I'll keep and I really need to keep a horse for a horse that I like. I needed a horse that I was going to click with that I could bring along. And I'd had several horses in the past. and. You know, there. I use the word chemistry. You know, you have horses, and you either have a chemistry with them. I get along with all horses. I mean, you can give me any horse, any breed, and I'll find the good in them, and I'll, hmm. you know, I'll train them, and I'll have fun with them. But I, there's a certain type of horse that I always click with. Everybody who knows my clinics knows it's cheeky horses. Yes, so, Every time I do a clinic, I'll be like, "Oh, there's a cheeky one. I like him." Yeah. <laughs> so Mercury was is the king of supreme cheekiness. So, and and for that matter we've all talked about how much we mirror to our horses so of course i'm a bit cheeky and i'm a will kind of headstrong and you know all trainers have a bit of that in them <laughs> and yeah the you good have ones. to be a trainer you know yeah. and and so Along comes this horse who's just as cheeky and just as mischievous and has a sense of humor, and I go, oh, this horse I can stay with. (laughs) And meanwhile, he's super difficult, you know, he's the uh, to describe his personality, uh, you know, I've talked about in clinics, but um, he was unhandled when I got him as a yearling. And the breeder said to me, oh, well, just give me a few weeks, I'll get the halter on him for you. And I asked him if he would bring him to me, uh, you know, and deliver him. And he said, oh, yeah, but I'll need a couple of weeks. He's not had the halter on. And um, two weeks later, he calls me and he says, well, I haven't got the halter on him yet. And it's been a bit of a challenge. <laughs> and I thought at that point, I should have said to myself, hmm, why is it so challenging for him to get the halter and he said, well, I didn't want to push him. And I said, well, fine. I said, can you get him on the horse trailer and just, you know, sort of, um, we'll bring him in and we'll back him up to the field and put him in the field. And we did that. And so that night I spent the, in with him in the, he was in the paddock and, and I hadn't, I had simply gone and looked at this horse that had incredible bloodlines for what I thought I wanted to do at the time. And, you know, he was, I'd gone on the breeder's recommendation, he said, I think this is the one that you're going to want, and he listened to what I had said, what I wanted, and so I sat there in the paddock with this horse, and the horse was in the corner of the paddock, and he, I described him as a deer, (laughs) he was over there, and he was just petrified of everything, and I thought to myself, I did not see this horse, (laughs) you know, when I saw him at the breeders, he was in with a group of young yearlings and, you know, he was obviously used to that. And so, um, you know, he was sort of calm and, you know, they brought him in and showed me his paces and I saw how he moved and that's all you can do with a yearling, basically. Mm. And, uh, you know, and I thought, all right. And then I got him and he was just petrified of me and of everything and, I had him in uh, livery at the time and I thought, well, I've got to get the halter on this horse because they've got to handle him. You know, he's not in my property. And uh, he was so frightened of everything and anything touching him, my hands, foreign, any, everything. So this is what I was dealing with. And I thought, what have I gotten myself into? (laughs) And and it took a lot of time and Mercury is the first horse where I, said out loud it takes as long as it takes because you know up until then I'd actually honestly I'd had such easy youngsters that they were just you know super simple to train and you know they went into their cult starting very easily and went on to be very nice horses you know and then and then I got this guy and I I had to say I had to readjust my mind and say oh they're not all like that (laughs) you know and go, Oh, well, okay. And so, you know, there's a time where you have to say, Well, I have to go at this horse's pace. I, I can't go at any other pace. He's not gonna allow it. So he was a great teacher and you know, not all horses are easy to start and you have to take time and some of them need a lot of playing around with equipment and things. He was very uh he's a very um you know he's this very sensitive thin-skinned horse you know everything is an affront to his senses you know everything's loud you know he's well I always say if a leaf blows by him he's rattled by that so he's wow. a flighty horse you know and so I say that always when people can appreciate when they see the videos of us riding bridalists that he people are like why don't you ever show the really difficult horses in your videos? <laughs> <And they're> like <laughs> That is a difficult (laughs)
2: word.
0: He used to buck like a bronco. Yeah. (laughs) And he's extremely flighty and he's distracted by everything still to this day. And he's extremely thin skinned horse and yeah, he's never he'll never be an easy horse.
1: And that thin skin and the oversensitiveness, is that just a part of his personality? That didn't settle once you did the body work and the nutrition and the hooves and everything? Did that shift at all or is that just really a part of him?
0: Well, you can you can shift, you know, you have there's a certain element of a horse is who he is, you know, and you look I met I had the the fortune of actually encountering his mother at some point because his mother's owner contacted me about some training at some point and I thought oh this will be interesting I'll meet his dam and I met her and I went oh that's where it comes from
1: Ah, uh-huh, okay
0: <laughs> and I thought yes she's quite a, a live wire herself so um there was quite a that's genetics there because I met his sire, and his sire was very calm, docile horse, mm-hmm. and so he inherited a lot of his mother's um traits. And uh, what I will say is that um, so going into holistic stuff is when we have a horse that is well, I use the Chinese elements you know, they're fire, uh, water, metal, um, wood, and earth.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: when you can identify your horse, then you can talk about, you know, if a horse that's in balance is usually basically a good horse. You know, they, they're always going to have, they're going to be who they are, but they're a horse that's manageable. Mm-hmm. And a horse that is out of balance can be terrifying, uh, aggressive and violent and like spooky to a point of being hysterical and panic attacks. You know? So what I've learned is, is that, um, um, mercury can get out of balance at times and he can tip towards the water side which is flightier and um, with my help of my vet and herbs and things we can bring him back to what is his normal which is mm-hmm. still still thin skin but better yeah <laughs> so you know it's finding what your horse's equilibrium is and also it helps me know when a horse is not optimal because all of a sudden there's behavior that has become very unusual for that horse and that horse has come through my barn many many times i have a horse that i rescued here that's on my wall that's a paint um he's like a draft cross that was came to me out of desperation they said we're going to send him to slaughter and I, i happen to know a bit of the horse's history but the initial history of the horse we knew was that the horse was basically a calm horse and all of a sudden he changed personalities and he became dangerous and you know reactive and he was not he had a a complete flip of personality and then without going totally into the story he had a lot of there was trauma and the first thing i said is where was the zero there was trauma somewhere and there was Hmm. and then he was sold on to a lesson program which he didn't work out in and It was not suitable for him and so he just spiraled down this horse and so i got him and it took me a year to bring him back to the horse he was and he's a very calm docile horse and he came with this rap sheet (laughs) you know like this horse is you know a terrible horse he's you know very bad and he you know we don't even know if you can uh if he's fixable you know he had gone to a local natural horse trainer and for two months and they hadn't been able to get anything done with him and i thought okay <laughs> you know so what's going on here yeah and uh, he had physical problems and he was not in a lifestyle that suited him and he just it took time getting him decompressing him and but it was not who he was and that's that is what i think is really key to um behavioral stuff is there's always something that made a horse switch into that the behavior that somebody missed and it it, it didn't just happen you know so the horse had some traumatic event or something in its life changed where the horse said I'm not happy with this and I you know and then physical stuff often happens namely ulcers and things that come with that and And it's uh, the same
1: for us so yeah it's not it 's not a long stretch to think it would happen to a horse
0: It happens all the time, and wh- i I cannot tell you how many horses I get that they 're so misunderstood there there 's very few horses I encounter where i 'm like, this horse is genuinely dangerous like mm. it 's like you know very rare. I look at them and I 'm like, they were just in the wrong program with the wrong person <laughs> with the wrong requests being asked of them and and then there was also that okay well you should just do your job attitude you know we've had you looked over by the vet and we can't find anything wrong so just go and do your thing why are you being naughty (laughs) you know
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so um the problem is is that again why I try to empower people and work with my vet we try to do educational stuff it's like the Chinese medicine I really love because when they check the pulses of the horses, I call it the so-called healthy horse, you know, you can have this shiny, glossy, gorgeous animal and you check the pulses and, you know, their liver is completely deficient or their lungs are completely, you know, deficient or something is so out of balance in that horse and you would never know by looking at them.
1: Yeah. They're so stoic.
0: Yeah, there's, there are horses ha- are, that are extremely tolerant and, you know, even the behavioral swings, you know, we, I had a horse here at one point that just passed through briefly and she was extremely, um, had extreme separation anxiety and was a, a weaver and, you know, would get hysterical. She was separated from her other horses and he did one session on her and the horse changed completely. And so this hysterical behavior, which a lot of people would have said, oh, that horse just has separation anxiety. With an acupuncture session, the horse became this docile, like, calm, balanced horse. One session. And I thought something was so off on that horse that she got in a state, you know, literally got herself in a state. Mm -hmm. And so. You know that's not. And again, I don't want people listening going, "Oh, I just need one acupuncture." Yeah, 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 My yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm telling. So the story. for that
1: one horse, it was acupuncture. <laughs> for the next horse, with the same presenting with the same thing, it could be ten different things that they would need. Yeah. And it might take a year. You know, you just you really don't know.
0: You don't know. And and the other the other horses I've done three sessions with, and other horses we've had here for in our care for over a year and it took us that long to get their insulin issues and their ppid issues all in order and now they you know are great but we had to keep them in the program for over a year to get their systems balanced Mm. you know and so every horse is different but i say that to say that there's hope for those animals and it's not just the horse is not just a nut and crazy, and again, I, I such so take contest and offense to those when people are like, "Oh, that horse is just wonky or nut, yeah. and you know he's just crazy." And I'm like, no animal is like that on purpose, yeah. <laughs> you know, that any more than any person <laughs> unhinges. Exactly, you know? exactly. You know,
1: and also, we we have that I'm not good enough. I must be a crap trainer, so it must be the horse, you know. It can't be my fault. And it's like we've got to let go of fault. And we've just got to do what's best. It doesn't matter what's happened. What matters is how we approach it from here on in, and that we we want to make it better.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that um, it's really important when you're trying to help the horses at large is is to just say, okay, well, we have these tools available to us. What does this horse need? You know, and it might be body work. It might be, you know. Chinese medicine it might be a combination of all of those things you know plus dietary changes plus lifestyles people have to embrace too that lifestyle changes are very important you know if you go and do all these things and then you stuff yourself in a, in a, in a horse in a stall with six blankets on and no contact with other horses he's not going to be happy yeah. <laughs> you know? and uh, you, you have to you know a horse's social lifestyle is one of the healing points that we use here, and we use other horses to help heal the other horses. You know, you get a horse, I rely heavily on my herd here. I call them the equine faculty. Mm. And I say, here, let's help this guy out. He's just come in. He's had a rough go of it, you know. And I put him with horses I think will help him decompress from whatever he's dealt with. And I rely, they're just as important piece as that vet is and that trimmer and that body worker because they will help that horse come back to himself. And I never say that, you know, people like, you know, love to guruize trainers and stuff. And I really, I don't like that because, you know, a lot of what we do is basic common sense around here you know and for some reason some people have lost their common sense.
1: Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, we need to strip it back and do the basics and and be I'm logical.
0: Serious. Yeah, like just put the horse outside with some other horses.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and he's he's oh, oh, he's much happier now and he's exercising so he's a lot calmer. <laughs> yeah. Know? And they're like you're a genius. I'm like no, I just put the horse outside and I let him be a horse, <laughs> you know, and it helped him. So, you know, I, I refuse to take that on a lot of times because I'm like, if you feel like you want to call me that, then you can. But most of the stuff we do here is just letting horses be horses again. And, you know, um, making sure that their, their needs are met their, for their well-being, not what we think they want, but what they really want.
2: Yeah,
0: And that's different. Humans have this notion about, oh, uh, well, this makes me feel better when I do this for my horse. Well, your horse doesn't really like that. Yeah,
1: I'm you know? cold. I'm cold, therefore my yeah. horse must be cold, therefore I need a really thick blanket on him. And I feel snug in my bed at night, so I'll put him in yeah. a snug stall at night and he'll feel good. And it's just not the same.
0: Yeah, and it's but it's also the blenders we put on because I've had people literally stare me in the face and look at a horse tearing the stall down and say, he's happy in his stall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah. are you looking at this horse in front of us? Yeah. There's there's this certain mind thing that sometimes horse people do, where they put a blinder on, and then they go, nope, it's all good, and I don't know why my horse has an ulcer though, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah.
0: So it's it's taking it's taking the again the inconvenient truth. Maybe you like that thing, but really your horse this is what makes your horse happy, and. If your horse is happy, he's going to perform better, and he's going to come out to work happier, and he's going to be happier to see you. Mm. You know, and it so, really is
1: a lesson in listening, isn't it, to your it horse? It is.
0: It really is because, you know, the things, the things that we think that they want, are not the things that that they want. You know, and that's what this farm is about. Is about giving the farm is based around the horse's well-being and it's not always the most convenient thing for us to do and it's also not the most uh, efficient way of doing things you know it's it means sometimes stuff is more labor intensive and stuff but it is I've stripped it as much as I can but I without cutting the corners on you know well this is what that horse needs you know so um you know Mm -hmm. it's just uh I think you know, people tend to fixate on the wrong things I find in the horse world and they they fixate on the things that aren't, you th- throwing money at things that, that they're actually, could, there's cheaper fixes, like literally just put your horse outside. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You don't yeah, need, you
1: we don't spend need so much time and money on things that don't matter because the real thing that our horses need is time for us to yeah. stand there and listen and be quiet and really go in and ask the horse what it is that they want. And that's yeah. what are, scary what are for they some need? people, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. and I, and and part of – I mean – uh, horse whispering I don't even use like you said I don't say people are like oh you're like a horse whisperer I'm like no a horse. I've listener.
1: never understood that either it's been it's the <laughs> yeah. weirdest word here. I'm like what what horse whisperer what does that even mean
0: yeah and frankly horse listener? <laughs> Yeah, well, frankly, a lot of the horse whisperers that I've seen, I don't care for, their methodology is not gentle. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, some famous ones, I'm like, what's gentle about what he just did? Looks <laughs>
1: like yelling to me.
0: Yeah, he just roped a horse's leg and put him on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm like, what? So, yeah, there's, so, yeah, the secret to getting through to any horse is just paying attention and and really and if you don't know what the horse is telling you then find someone who just pays attention you know I, i've long since given up giving advice over the e- emails and things because people are like well, what should i do about this or what should i do about that and I, if it's training stuff i can do it if they send me a short video yeah but if it's something to do with you know anything in the written word and i said but, you know without um yeah you know, i can give you some ideas you know, but I can't tell you without having my hands on a horse. If it's a complex issue, I can only tell you what my experience has been with other horses, and then you can try these things and then see if it, it works and point you in some directions that might be helpful.
2: Mm.
0: But but dispensing um, advice uh, is—I t- I instruct most people to stay off of forums at this point in time. <laughs> <and> to, <laughs> And to avoid asking questions on the internet at all costs, unless it's from a source you really, really trust. <laughs> so yeah. there's, there's very few forums that, I, there's only like three that I would actually even go on where I would actually have a hope of getting reasonable, sensible advice from on anything. And yeah, um, yeah it's, you know, people have to stop looking out there and start looking at their horse.
1: And yeah, and go, listening.
0: Yeah, your horse will tell you the answers. You know, when we te- when I teach liberty uh, work with horses, and people say, "Well, what do I do?" if they're coming from a very task oriented sort of style of training, and they say, "Well, what do what do I do?" I said, "Well, if you look at your horse, you'll know what to do." And yeah. that's the that's the point of this methodology is the horse shapes the training session. You go in and look and say, "Okay, what's he doing?" <laughs> you yeah. know. And then you go, okay, I have all these exercises I could do, and this one seems to fit really well with what that horse is doing right now. And then you don't have to ask somebody. And so often I answer every question with ask your horse. Yeah. Ask your horse.
1: <laughs> ask your horse. Beautiful. And,
0: and it's hard. It's hard. And I get like, the average amateur is probably saying right now, but I don't know enough and I, I just want to get it right. And I get that. I get that part. And I don't envy any, you know, sort of novice horse owners because it's a very difficult place to be in when you have horses. Mm-hmm. But my advice is always to average horse owners who are more novice level is to, first of all, always when you're asking questions, you know, go to people that you respect, not you know not every tom dick and harry you know around don't ask 25 people you know go to people you respect you like how their horses are kept you like you know what they're about yeah do
1: that research as well that's really important
0: yeah do your research and follow your intuition because it will lead you to the teachers that have the like you said about the Mm self-selection it will lead you to the information you want if you stay attached to that information and you do a little digging, whether on the internet or asking around, you'll find a person who's expert in that area.
1: Yeah. And
0: and it'll lead you inevitably in the direction you want to go and probably to other practitioners because their networks are usually good. Like my network is huge Mm. and, you know, I've got all kinds of people I can recommend from human body workers to horse ones and, you know, dog people and cat people. Yeah. You know it's all I'm together. quite the
1: same here and and that's yeah. what I love as well and that's what that's what really speaks to me about um why there are so many different methodologies in everything because everybody's different so when something happens to my body or something happens to my any of my animals or my kids I'm able to think okay and and it's completely intuitive I'm like you need that person and I usually go to this person, but this time I need that person because they just, they've got the answer for what it is that I'm doing. But if I was just one person and that's it, and that my doctor's got all the answers, then I'm not going to be able to have the breadth of experience and healing and and um, growth that I can have by going to who I need in the moment.
0: Yeah. And, and often, you know, this is a great way of looking at, um physical difficulties and difficulties with in life in general not just with horses but some of the greatest difficulty and challenges i've encountered have get, have afforded me the tools that um i they, because they happened i learned how to do it <laughs> you yeah. know and yeah. you know my horse was getting injured to
1: practice
0: yeah and you know my horse has got Had bad, terrible injuries, you know, and things, and I had to bring them back sometimes, you know, uh, multiple times. And they, I learned from masters how to bring horses back. And, you know, things that were traumatic at the time wound up being huge pathways to knowledge because I thought, God, I really got to help this horse and I don't want to do it this way and I don't want to go the traditional route. And isn't there other ways? And those questions got answered in tenfold and yes there are other ways and I'm here to tell everybody there's other ways and there's always other answers and you know you can always uh, you know even though it didn't work for someone else it may work for you you know everybody's had different experiences and it's really important um what allows me to to be flexible is because I know like I said I have all those tools I can really customize stuff for everybody. And that makes it difficult for some people who follow me because they want a very nuts and bolts system. Yeah. <laughs> and I I hear that feedback sometimes. Well, is it, don't you just have like step one, do this. You know, yeah. step two? Yeah. And, and that's like, been
1: the hardest thing for me since going down this rabbit hole is learning yeah. that there is no step one.
0: Yeah. It's just, you, you know, you, you, you gather tools and, and god willing you have experiences and then when another horse comes to you you go right i've done this before i've got the tools for it you know and and for what it's worth when that one comes along where you're like god i've never done one like this before and i don't know what to do okay i've got people i can call have you done this one have you done this one? you know yeah. do you know what to do
2: yeah and
0: yeah yeah okay we we uh, we've got we've done a horse like that before, and this is what we did. Oh, good! I've got a pass to start on. Now. Yeah. <laughs> now. and it's
1: like with children; they say it takes a community to raise a child, and it, why should it be any different for a horse, really?
0: It is, and I, I use that term all the time here. I say it takes it takes the whole farm to help heal the, the horse that comes in, mm. and that's the people who work here and the people who are taking care of the animals and the horses themselves and all of that and you know i i very much believe that um when you go to any farm you have to the energy of the farm you know is you always feel what does it feel like you know for the animals for everyone who steps on that property and we try very hard to have feeling of peace for the animals when they come here and that if they've come from a hectic show barn or something or they've come that they can just let down here and that they will be understood you Mm -hmm. know and that they will they can tell me their problems and I will listen sympathetically because I know how it is out there in the horse world
1: (laughs) yeah 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 and is that what you did with the paint that had the trauma I'd like to hear because you know all the other things are you know, body work and nutrition and and time and things like that. But I'm really interested with that horse, what you were able to do with that trauma and how you were able to support the horse.
0: Well, he's an interesting case because he represents exactly what bothers me a lot of times, which is everybody fixated on his behavior. And, i just happened to and i don't always know the horse's histories but i just happened to know this horse's history from his birth just because it's a small world and he had originally been in my area and then got sold on and so i i happened to know that he wasn't that that horse before and i said so that immediately to me was like okay something's happened to the horse and so you know he we knew that he had had trauma and we knew that he had been sold into a Uh, basically a university equestrian program which is very stressful to horse very little turnout and you know a lot of jumping and you know being a lesson horse basically um they kept them confined more more often than not and he'd gone from being a backyard pet basically you know to this and so shocked to the system and then he, his behavior, what ultimately had happened with him is he developed stomach ulcers. And because he was a draft horse, this is my theory about draft horses, because I worked with a lot of them, but everyone expects them to be big lugs. Yep. And they look at them and they think, well, I, th- I knew exactly why this lesson program took him. And they said, oh, a nice stocky draft horse. He'll be perfect. He can carry a lot of people. He's sturdy. And he was very sensitive and reactive. And I thought, well he blew their theory. <laughs> so yeah. he was he was very much, you know, flinching at things and all this and I thought, well, yes, I could see how that would um, sort of, you know, people were working with him and didn't fit with their image. So I took him and I said, well, my experience ironically enough with lot blood dress is that exactly that. People get them and they think they're going to be these big docile, gentle animals and they wind up being somewhat reactive they have you know they can be spooky just like other horses you know not every draft horse is dead quiet you know so so I don't I've worked with enough breeds to know that every breed has every type of horse in it they've got brilliant you know dead quiet horses that are super you know versatile and can do anything and then they've got some that are really spooky and then there's some that are somewhere in the middle (laughs) you know and there's there's cheeky ones and then there's shy ones you know yeah so whenever someone says to me oh this breed is absolutely this way i'm like well no there's always this all breeds have all different types of horses. yep
1: yeah. that's like saying all white people are the same
0: exactly so the dra- so the drafts i find get a bad judgment all the time because they won't, if someone gets them and then they're actually a bit sensitive and actually reactive they're like What's wrong with this horse? They're like, well, he's just not like. They're not all like that, you know? yeah. And you know, personally, my experience that many of them aren't like that. Actually, from the Frisians to the Percherons, they're actually quite sensitive and, and um, much more so than you would think. Mm. And so, um, so I got him and I looked at him and I thought, well, he he seemed genuinely terrified of of not only. Just training and everything, but he had. I knew he'd been round penned a lot, and I knew that um, when I ran my hands on his body, he was very flinchy, and that was a huge red flag to me because horses are not like that. Yeah. And um, especially on his abdomen, and I immediately thought, ulcers. And mm-hmm. I thought, how has no one thought of this? This horse, that's like the first, again, 101, that is basic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's three things that I find I, you guys don't have so much problem with ticks in your area with the diseases but you know hoof problems ulcers and here we have tick borne viruses which wreak havoc on the horses and um, you know it's the three first things I look at for but ulcers I would feel is a global understanding massive but, yes that generally the average horse person knows that ulcers are fairly common with horses and that If you saw flinching around the sides, it would be the first thing you would look for. So how that was missed, I'll never know. But again, that's the kind of things we're up against these days. This is what horses are up against. So Mm. the words I heard over and over is he needed to be desensitized. And that was the issue. And so when I got this horse, his circuits were blown because I suspect that's what happened at the natural horse trainer.
1: And by that, do you mean his nervous system was just shot?
0: Yeah, he was yeah. just, he was terrified. He was running around the arena, like terrified. Yeah. And I looked at him and I thought, this horse is just traumatized by everything. His life change, his training, everything. And, he, and the other thing that struck me was interesting about him was he was so anxious to, to do what I wanted, even though he was hysterically panicked. Yeah. He was like, what do you want? And I thought he's just really, he's just so desperate for some kind of, you know, consistency and and I'll do whatever you want and I just want peace and, you know, and that, that to me was very telling about him. And I thought that what I'd heard about, you know, people tell me things about horses and I think... I have to listen with a grain of salt and then I have to see the horse and I thought, God, this horse just wants nothing but to please a person and he's just terrified and he's in pain.
1: Yeah.
0: And that was it. And his feet were damaged. (laughs) And so so two out of three of my things that I check for. Yeah. And I thought, All right, well we've just gotta get the feet right. We've gotta get him in a in out with some horses and get him to you know, find some friends and we've gotta get him on a good diet and some body work and some acupuncture and, you know, we're going to start walking in a direction. And, you know, now he's teaching children here and, and adult amateurs. And uh, he, he was given to me because they couldn't make a lesson horse out of him.
2: <laughs>
0: and he's come here and he's become one of our, we call them faculty members. Yeah. So they're not lesson horses. They're equine faculty or schoolmasters and I train them up myself and I make them into schoolmasters, so you can actually learn proper like classical biomechanical writing and so he got an education and then I brought him up and he's now one of our faculty members so and
1: that says so much about trauma you don't yeah. have to have counseling you don't have to you know have any kind of special skill sometimes you might but um but it really can just be meeting horses needs
0: yeah and that's i I looked at you know like i said when i people bring me difficult horses um i've definitely you know i start babies all the time too and there are babies that are difficult out the gate and you know when i say difficult i mean they're quite dominant and they're always going to be a very like um a willful horse, you know, mm-hmm. sort of in there it 's their character, and I think well that 's not a bad horse. I get along very well with willful horses. I have no problem with them, but that horse isn 't for everybody, yeah. you know so if you have a horse that is actually in the Chinese elements they 're wood, so mm-hmm. you watch out for the wood horses <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you if you have a wood horse, you know who you are because they um, they 're very willful and uh they don't like taking direction from people.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, they like to do the telling. <laughs> yeah. So, but I say that to say that um I meet horses all the time and people say oh this horse is a problem horse or whatever. And you know when sometimes I meet a horse and I go god this horse is so far from a problem horse that it's it's sad, you know, and then they're being vilified and they're being you know people are telling them that telling me that you know the horse is dangerous, crazy, this that you know I hear all kinds of things, and I'm looking at the horse, and I, so, thank God I've learned to just take that you know with a grain of salt, and I look at them, and I say, "What are you really saying, horse and as soon as they know you're listening, they're often they're like, "Oh, thank God, somebody who's going to hear what I've been trying to say, I've been shouting at these people for months now." <laughs> So, And I'm like, I hear you. Tell me what's happening.
1: That is so great. And the amount of emails I get and messages I get from this podcast of people saying a similar thing, that they yeah. listen to the podcast, they're listening to trainers, they turn up to their paddock, they just literally... Some of them don't even have to speak because after listening to one of the podcasts of somebody who really speaks to them and, and allows the shift in their body and they have this aha moment, they turn up to their horse and they can clearly hear their horse saying, oh, thank God you've figured it out. Yeah. Um, so yeah. The, the horses are ready, willing and able and they are telling us and, and they are screaming at us in so many ways. But the second you make the shift, they're like, oh, finally.
0: Well, I tell people, like, by the time a horse has put you on the ground, he was telling you for months before yeah. that
1: and there he, was a problem. And he started <laughs> with a whisper. He would have yeah. started with a whisper.
0: Yeah, it might have been a tail swish at the grooming. It might have been a little ear pinning. It might have been something, you know, he didn't want to be caught. You know, all of a sudden he stopped being difficult to catch a little bit you know and you just kept going along and going along and then eight months later all of a sudden your horse is putting you on the ground yeah and you're like what when does this start and I go well he probably was talking to you for a while and and the thing that I most experienced I mean what I genuinely horses are incredibly like they're just so tolerant you know it's unbelievable sometimes I wish like the stoic horses I wish they wouldn't be
2: sometimes
0: because they often go until they can't go anymore and then they just keel over and you're like oh this horse was just I thought he was fine you know and I was like well he wasn't actually he just doesn't he's not loud about it you know and I often tell people that I really love emotional horses and horses that wear their stuff on their sleeves because I'm like, I see what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, no, Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's right. He's right here. Look, I don't like that. I'm not inter- I don't want that food, that horse that makes me mad. And I don't, yeah. want, and I don't like rugs and I don't, yeah. you know, and I'm like, good, we're very clear about what you like. And, you know, yeah. So, I have uh, some horses stabled here that I always laugh about. They even tell me about who can work here. So like, <laughs> oh, oh! I don't like that one. And so I watch them when we have new people. I'm like, oh, they don't like that one.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so it's because you can tell sometimes people are not going to fit well in your program. Yeah. And uh, horses will tell you even about people they don't care for. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's it's so important to you know know that when you're you're looking at everything in there looking at what the horse is saying and try to see those the subtle things it's like when i cult start i'm often uh when people what i really warn people about i said you know cults often you know there's it's not a surprise when that 8 year old horse gets brought to me and he's rearing and stuff because and they said oh well, i got him when he was young and i said you know that you missed some steps in the foundation because this was here mm. and you just missed it, and I I tell people, I'm like, you know, you really do yourself a service if you bring the horse to a good young horse trainer because their job is to see the little flags that are going to be a seven-year-old or eight-year-old horse that all of a sudden you're having trouble with, and you didn't see those little flags, and a lot of horses are are would be perfect you know right up through their life but they were started by either you know amateurs that wanted to do it on their own or you know some in some way where their foundation was just uh, incons- incomplete and um yeah I, I, that horse winds up on my doorstep a lot it's scary it's scaring people now
2: mm.
0: and you know i say well you know what happened <laughs> you know you start you start a young horse that's their most important time of of uh foundation from their basic handling right up to their riding more importantly their basic handling because as someone who's had to deal with it and be dragged around by horses who can't be led and can't have their feet picked out <laughs> you yeah, know wow. and i thought this horse is 12 and you can't even p- pick up his hoof to clean it <laughs> out know? wow. Simply, as that somewhere your foundation was not right with this, uh, we should not almost get killed when we're trying to handle our horses' feet. So, it, but it's a large variety of horses, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, it's important to, you know, look at that when you're getting young horses and think we all, a lot of people like the idea of getting a young horse. And it's a large responsibility, you know, to, to educate a young horse. And I think people take for granted how much goes into a young horse when you go purchase that nice six-year-old and you're like, wow, he loads on the trailer and I can pick his feet up without getting killed. And, you know, he's, yeah. uh, he's, he's very kind to lead and, you know, he's I feel very safe on him. And, yeah, and that, that's, you know, something that I think we, a lot of us take for granted.
1: Mm, there's you know, a lot of hours that have gone into that horse to get it to that spot.
0: Yeah to have a horse that's nice to handle and I think that's important and I also think that people have to realize that you know basic handling is not you know it, it's important you know it's like the most important thing you can do with your horse and um you know it's it's how they they get along I call them real life horse uh horse life skills yeah. <laughs> you know? As like some some of our horses are lacking in life skills and then it winds up getting them into trouble down the road and it's not the horse's fault
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. It's a big responsibility.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's important, and I, I, I try to, you know, get people to really recognize that, you know, work with your horses on if you're having difficulty with basic handling stuff. So that's really important part to work with, especially for your practitioners, because um, some people get upset when practitioners, you know, handle their horses roughly, but yet their horse is not good for them. So, you know i said you're putting your horse in that position yeah. now because you didn't do the work or get someone to help you with it or hire someone to help you get that horse better to handle so um people have to realize that yeah just good basic handling is important and,
1: mm. and spending the time and money at the start means you're going to have a lot um uh, a lot more smooth run later on not that it will be easy but if you it's like anything if you lay the foundation spend the money at the start take the time at the start then later on you've set a foundation to work from and you don't have to go back as far
0: yeah and it's it's just drawing on what I see coming into my clinics a lot of times and what people are dealing with when they want to you know they just even want to go to a workshop and enjoy a workshop and they're you know struggling to get their horse on the trailer or their horse is dragging them around the grounds and you know yeah. and I'm like okay and i it's good they're there to get help but also it's, it's difficult for them and you know it's it's just that that's the kind of stuff that i try to help people with a lot here is getting the really the a solid foundation and a a foundation that's friendly to your horse, not, you know, a natural horse foundation where they're just sort of bashed around and said, you know, look, you stand perfectly still, otherwise we're going to pressure you to. you don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that you actually have a relationship with the horse. So when you go places, you, to me, trust is a two-way street. Yes. Respect is a two-way street. And I hear those words thrown around all the time. And I hear trainers throwing the word trust around all the time. And yet not, it's very incongruent to what they're doing. But trusting a horse to me means that I trust that horse, his behavior patterns. It doesn't mean he's perfectly behaved. It just means that I'm pretty sure I know how he's going to react in most situations. And I have the tools to deal with it. And I can guide him through it. And our lines of communication stay open because yeah. I am not of this robot horse thinking, which is very popular right now. And that thinking is um, all these really hugely popular methods right now that are about desensitizing the horse beyond uh, to oblivion. <laughs> and I, I, I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's a horse. Is not is
1: that not a form of shutting down anyway?
0: Exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. These are the very popular training right now. These is like, can you shut my horse down so he won't react to anything, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, so you'd rather have your horse completely. And, and mind you, when a horse has left his body, because I, I've rehabbed some very, like some older dressage horses that were high level dressage horses and stuff. It's heartbreaking to actually work with a horse that has left his body. Mm. he is literally i've had a couple here that i rescued that literally they're like gone and they leave their body when you go to handle them and they're like okay do with me what you will i'm gonna leave now yeah and that is and people think that that's a good horse
1: yeah and they go oh push button horse yeah
0: he's this is my horse you know and that and i'm like i think to myself wow so the horse we like in as a general population is like that a horse that is just completely disassociative in human terms we'd say disassociative yeah so that is not what is the desire i, I don't think anyone really who who has a horse should that should be their desire no <laughs> you know but um yeah i feel like uh And it comes back to
1: quick fix, though, doesn't it?
0: It comes back to that. And I I really, that's what's currently really bothering me is this sort of person, these people who are running in droves to these people who just desensitize and shut down and disassociate their horses. And they just love it. They think it's the greatest thing. And Mm -hmm. these videos that go viral where the horses are under tarps and, you know, they're standing on them with all this stuff. And, you know, and I thought it's really interesting because going back to a horse like Mercury, I had an experience with him ver- with desensitization and I remember this vividly and I thought it was at a time when I was still walking in the world of what I'd call more mainstream nat- natural horsemanship and I knew that he was flighty and I came at him with this little shopping bag which he was horrified by of course mm. and it was on the end of a whip I think and he, I could tell he would just horrified but at that point I had a really I I built a really good bond with this horse obviously him and I are like I call us the old married couple Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I came at him and and I remember looking at his eye and this is just good that I was actually awake enough I wasn't in my agenda mode where I was like right desensitize the horse (laughs) you know I saw in his eye and his eye to me what my interpretation of his eye was was why would you do this to me i thought i could trust you and i actually stopped and put the thing down and i said he he was questioning me like i trust you why are you bringing this terrifying thing to me and it made me rethink how to work with fear and horses because it's not that that's not a problem but um i looked at him and i said i don't want to ruin what i have this horse and he this is going to ruin it he's 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 like why would you do that to me yeah. so I stopped it's when like I was... he
1: he's your greatest fear like if you have greatest fear for yeah. us you know is spiders here you go he's a spider yeah <laughs> why would we do that to a horse how would you feel if your friend walked up and did that to you
0: yeah, well, that's what, that's what desensitization is always like. Make him face it, make him face it, make him face it. And then, so here's an interesting difference of, of approach on that. So this is a great analogy to not addressing something head on. But Mercury was petrified of water as a young horse. And I used to do groundwork with him. And I'd come to a puddle and he was like, oh, hell no. And yeah. I was like, okay. And I, so, you know, I sort of chipped away at it over the years. And I thought, well, eventually, you know, you don't always have a chance to work, work with water. It's just not around. You know, there's mm-hmm. not always puddles And there you're not always places where there's Lakes and things So years, years later Mercury and I have spent Many, many years together And we've lived life together And done all kinds of things together And come the opportunity to take him To a beach And I took him to the beach And I thought, you know, I haven't really Exposed him to water in a long time And I asked him to go in the water And he went in the water <sighs> You know, and I thought I've not practiced this. We never really got through it. We never really went to it, but we just kept building our bond over the years. And eventually, the opportunity to come to a beach came along, and I have tons of wads of pictures of us, some of my Facebook of us riding on the beach and in the water up to his belly. And I never really worked on it. Wow. Put it on the back burner because it wasn't always easy to work on, and it just wasn't there. And uh, and that is a testament to not working, hitting things head on always,
1: and building relationship instead. There's a lot to be said for someone you trust, and that goes to horses. You know, you look at horses that go to war with people and and ride into battle. Yeah. Why on earth would they do that? And right. it's really simple. They they trust. They're human. Their human is everything to them. And they say, wherever you go, I trust you. I trust if you're taking me in here, that it's it's where we're meant to be. And that's exactly what Mercury did. I love it.
0: Yeah, and the bond. You know, just to touch on that bond thing, because one of the exercises we teach is is the act of just being with your horses, not training. And this is a huge exercise. I personally feel that it was a gift to learn this exercise, to just go and sit and be with the horses. And especially when you're a busy, flat out person, whether it's a horse trainer or a other person, to go take this time and just go be with your horses with no agenda. And the thing that is when I I think about Mercury as my horse. I've had him. He's 15 this year, which I can't believe. <laughs> and, uh, wow! He's coming. Have you 15. got him as a one year old. Wow! And I got him as a one year old, and he's he has seen me through so to to the realizing of my dream, and he's also elevated my horsemanship. He he allowed me to do things that I never thought I would ever be able to do with the bridalist and the dressage and the Piaf and, you know, Liberty Piaf and all that stuff. And I thought, you know, I've done things with this horse that I never even dreamed I could do. I just thought, so I thought I was buying a show jumper
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and here we are. Yeah. And, uh, and he does love to jump. I will say that he does love loose jumping, but um, he's not much one for showing. He's a little too flighty. I mean, I here's another thing. I listened to him. I could show him. I have shown him. He doesn't like showing. Yeah. It's very unnerving to him. He he finds it, you know, too it's overstimulating and mm. you know and he's a bit flighty. And so I am a very strong rider. I can get a horse to do anything. I've ridden many horses around competitions that were not wanting to go through the competition
2: yeah. and
0: wanting to refuse jumps and in fact gotten horses around courses that were eliminated many times over. However, that question i'm saying to myself is okay this horse clearly does not like this job (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and so you know i've made peace with the fact that mercury isn't super into shows and he is happy to do exhibitions and demos he actually mercury's got he's a very um what's the word he's he's a self-important horse and he likes it to be about him so he likes doing demonstrations and uh, he likes showing off what he knows and he doesn't think that shows are, you know, it's not the same when you go to shows. You got to compete against other horses and stuff and then it's very overstimulating for him. So he likes when he's the center of focus and, you know, I'm talking about how special he is. Wow. <laughs> so he's a performing horse, but not a show horse.
1: Yeah, fantastic.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, he's a char- he's a hilarious character actually. And so he's great because he has He's a fire horse, which is a very social, gregarious horse, and he's got a lot of spirit and fire and all that. But you know, and he's also a bit of a chicken. So you know, he's he's just it's he's funny because he does things based around that. That he does funny stuff. But um, you know, when you have what what you know what I can share with everybody is I took a horse that throughout his growth there was nothing easy about him. He was very difficult. With every type of thing that it, nobody wants the, the spookiness, the bucking, violent bucking, he's still to this day, historically, one of the worst buckers I've ever ridden like, <laughs> powerful, like, yeah, really bad. I imagine yeah, I it would mean, be big, yeah. I mean, and, and he was bred for power jumping, so when he turned that for bucking, I mean, he's a big jumper, I mean, you jump a good size fence, mm. I, I mean, all four feet off the ground, three meters off the ground, and I just thought, you know, he's had every vice that every horse you don't want and he's a very unfocused horse a lot of times is very like I call him ADD and yet I was able to get to a point where I would took the bridle off of him and rode him bareback and jumped him over full jump courses and did all this stuff and to me doing that wasn't about showing off it was just about wow, I can do this now with this horse. Yeah. I was like, look how far we've come. And I actually never set out to do bridalist work. I thought I would just be happy to have a horse that I could ride that wasn't going to buck me (laughs) off and and wasn't spooking at everything. And I just thought it, it came organically. Oh, how about this? And the thing, so going back to Linda Tellington, the neck strap thing, she used those. She's the originator of using those. pretty Way back in the 70s, she, she had the Corderos. And I remember her using them, and I started using them actually to help retrain horses that were very heavy on the bit. Mm. And so actually using the next strap was more in tune with um, balancing horses. And people see that it is like a feat of riding, but um, the Corderos are used by a lot of good horsemen to actually help horses that are very much heavy on the the forehand and um, she, Linda Tellington, is very often known for having people take bridles off and putting her lariats around their neck and having them ride to get the horse to come lighter on the forehand and so I actually found that that technique was quite helpful with some very strong um, forehandy horses that I was working with that were event horses and were candidates to have giant bits put in their mouth and you know all manners of uh heavier equipment and instead as always i went the opposite way i said i'm going to take some equipment off and we're going to go back to the beginning and teach you how to balance and so you become lighter in the bridle and that's the approach that's the correct approach is yeah i agree it. <laughs> yeah, you teach the horse to self carry, mm. so he's not heavy in the hand anymore. You don't bit him up, so that because you you don't have uh, the time to train him to carry himself. So a lot of my early YouTube's are of me working with horses that were very um, should have been put in more equipment, and I wound up back and going backwards. Mm. And so Mercury, I feel like all that work, a lot of that was just organic. And we really just did it because it was something to try and it was more proof of the trust we had for each other. And so the things that I look for in training that are really important to me is that my horse trusts me. I trust my horse. I respect my horse. I hear respect being thrown around by the natural horse people all the time, but it's all about the human.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's not, it's well, the horse, he's being disrespectful. That horse is disrespectful. I hear that all the time. I'm like, um really, you're being disrespectful. To the yeah.
2: Horse.
0: So we disrespect horses on a regular basis, on a daily basis, but we don't think of it as disrespectful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. In so many ways, in yeah. so many ways, not just standing there in that moment to why they disrespected us, but everything you're saying about holistic horsemanship you know, do they get choice of feeding? Are they getting regular body work if they need it? You know, do they, are they in a stall? Do they have rugs on? How many ways, if we really stop and think about it and go deep, have we disrespected our horse in the last day, week, month?
0: Yeah. And I think there's a difference between empathy for a horse and projection. You yes. know, like I, I have, I am an empath to a horse, like, I've, As
1: most I'm, of the good horse trainers are, I yeah, haven't found and one yet that's not deeply empathic.
0: Yeah, you have to be a, a good horseman. Is is first and foremost a horse empath, and then they're knowledgeable about whatever they need their tools are. Yeah, you know, from from hoof to the to the psychology of a horse, and and then they're interested in what benefits the horse, not what benefits the human. You know. Mm. And one of my current goals is to—the um, only way to really affect change in the horse world, which is kind of what I'm most interested in right now—and I have a two-two tier approach to that. Um, my main thing is to focus on children, <laughs> because they are the, the future. They are, and I—I've been graced with a bunch of really enthusiastic young young horsemen around me which has been very interesting because people tell me instructors tell me all the time kids aren't interested in this stuff <sighs> and i have these these kids are lapping up not only have. biomechanical training hoof care they're teaching them to trim their horses they are <sighs> learning self-selection they're learning all of this stuff and they lap it up they're like a
1: blank slate. It's like going to school. My little boy's just started prep, and he's soaking everything up. And I'm just watching his little brain be so excited about learning something new. Kids are yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah, and they and they can understand. I teach kids sophisticated seat concepts. They are learning. Seven-year-olds. We're learning how to ride from their seats without their hands, using their legs, using their bodies, body language, and. You know, instructors come to me and they go, oh, well, they don't care about it. They just all want to jump. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I said, that's true. I liked to jump too. But I also, if someone had come along at my age and said, would you like to? I just loved horses. And anything you taught me about them, I would have been like, okay, you know.
1: And either way, they want to learn how to jump. And the jumping is the, um, the opportunity to teach them a different way to jump so they're still right. jumping and that's... previously they would have learned one way they would have wanted to learn how to jump in the traditional way and now because they love jumping they're wanting to learn in a different way
0: yeah and the and the thing that like this week I just ran a, a camp for the kids uh, that was focused on uh, riding with music and freestyles and I actually took all the rules away because you know we all know dressage freestyles yep and I thought well we're going to do freestyles but you know None of that stuffy horse show rules. <laughs> I said you yeah. do literally whatever you want. Pick your music. The only rules are it has to fit into that song, time wise. <laughs> you know, yeah. it begins and ends with this when the song ends. And I loved what they did. They and and then they were just all lolling around on their horses while one was practicing laying on them, napping on them. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. everybody bare bareback. And I thought, you know, this is. They're learning really great stuff, sophisticated stuff, and they're still being kids and they're flopping over their ponies and they're, you know, riding bareback and having a great time. And I thought, this is what it's supposed to be like. And these are the future. And so, my second approach to the change in the horse world, which is necessary, is that the show people who are harder to work with, but you have to go out and you have to make another alternative for them that there you can do performance without compromising the horse's well-being
1: fantastic
0: and that means sustainable showing that means not showing relentlessly 52 weeks a year that means your horse should be turned out that means that you should be able to show barefoot you should be able to show bitless and you should also have competitions that allow those things more competitions that allow those and so you know i'm trying to i'm in the throes of putting together what i call performance team which exemplify those things and they will to to create another model for the because we all know everyone answers to the show world at the end of the year and the competition world dictates a lot of what goes on in the world. Mm. And so you have to, you have to go out there and show, you have to show them. I know some people want to turn their back on the show world, especially in our holistic world, our little club here. We want to go, oh, show people are awful. And they are <laughs> a <lot of> them, <laughs> to be blunt. Yeah. But if you don't go out there and say, look, this is you can do this, and you can do it sustainably, and be nicer to the horses, and the horses can live like horses, and still go out and probably perform better. Yes. Then you know, listen up. Look, we can do this. I showed even before I was well into this. I showed my horses, I vented them barefoot, uh, rode them in treeless saddles, rode them uh, bitless whenever, and a lot of my kids run bitless on eventing and with my bridles, and it can be done. You know, it's just, you know, there's, it's not impossible to do you, but people don't see it. So they don't even think about it.
1: Exactly. And, and everyone who's listening to this podcast now, we have to be brave. You know, we have to be brave and we have to, we've got our community. So we've got our place that we can come back to and, and fall into and go, oh my God, that was really scary and hard, but I did it. But it's up to us. Just make a step, do one thing, you know, just head to one show, ask for one rule to be allowed, you know, and and we can do this. We can, together we can make some real change.
0: Yeah. And you have to, you have to be willing to put your neck out. And that's, that's the tough part is, you know, because horse people can be ruthless. We all know that and we can get crucified for doing any, anything different.
2: Yeah, (laughs) But
0: I hold on to this notion that all of my personal horse heroes, did get crucified but also then became masters that we looked to later because people finally went oh they were right <laughs> and <laughs> it's so like-
1: cool to be one of the first really too isn't it you know if your local yeah. show goes no you can't do this it's like hey in 50 years time 20 years time when it's the norm you can go I was the first yeah. you know, I was there I was at the forefront I walked in and I asked for this and, and I started the change so I think it's great let's lay down that challenge
0: yeah and i and i think that if um you know it's really impressive to me the youth today are so much more up on things and some of the girls who have come to this farm they sought this farm out like they googled they said i don't want to ride with a bit anymore and they found my farm yeah and they're you know we're talking about you know 13 12 year old girls they weren't because looking- it's logical if you yeah.
1: love a horse and you're a little child, why would you put a bit in its mouth? It's When you're that young, you can ask those questions and you're not covered with all the years and years of learning and people telling you it should be different. And they've got the world at their fingertips. This is where technology comes in very handy.
0: Yeah. And I, I when I ask the kid, I always ask them, I say, well, why, why do you want to do this? You know, I want to hear what your thoughts are. And they give me very, very smart answers. And I mm. go, whoa, <laughs> you know, it's smarter than a lot of adults and uh so yeah so that's my two-pronged approach now because when we talk about giving back to the horse world a lot of horse professionals always talk about giving back to the horse world but it always seems to be giving back to whatever sport they're like whether it's dressage or jumpers or whatever becoming a judge or something or whatever yeah. but I want to give back to horses I want to give them back their lives, their quality of life and if they have to put up with us all well, our nonsense human nonsense and conditions that we, I, we must give back to them as much as possible to, I agree. to deal, as i say to mercury i'm like you push up with all my hair brand ideas all the time and he rolls his eyes and he goes <laughs> oh she's my human <laughs> <laughs> and I, i'm like you're so good you take yeah. care, you deal with all of my crazy ideas that i come with <laughs> wow no. Oh,
1: it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. And I've been through your website and I must say it's incredibly comprehensive. So anyone in the world can come here. And you've got courses that people can do, and you've also got the ability to um rent videos on there. So short videos to rent. So there's something there for everyone. So I highly, highly recommend heading over to fdhorsemanship.com and all of the um all of the links will be in the show notes because there's a lot there and there's a lot we didn't talk about with the, um, we could have dived deep into every part of holistic horsemanship. Um, there's a lot there and there's a lot you'll learn. And, and now I see why so many people were writing to me asking to interview you.
0: Yeah, well, I tried to really, um, when I finally did what I call find my voice, I started, I, I, I was like, well, this is what I need to do for do for the horse world, you know, do for horses and um, I really am passionate and I feel very lucky to have kept my passion alive because I see a lot of equine professionals who have lost sight of their love for the horse mm. and you know they don't a lot of very busy clinicians are out touring all the time and they don't even have time for their horses and there's something I've I made a a promise to myself I said why well, I always joking and I say I'm just supporting my own habit <laughs> but, but yeah, I have six horses now I've gone from two to six since I had this farm, but a lot of them are horses that I've taken on as like i said as they was their last hope you know was to come here and and to uh, have a quality of life but um yeah it it's very important you know the, to me my the vision of whole horsemanship is it should be the way it is. It shouldn't be alternative. It shouldn't be holistic. I I mean, those words we use, but I, I want people to embrace it as this is, this can be normal. It just <laughs> is know? horsemanship. This is just it how is, it's meant is to be. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah. And um, it's
1: like it's organic sports. food. I don't yeah. get why we have to call it organic and we have to get it registered as organic. I'm like, why is this not the norm? It should, yeah. it
0: should so be far. abnormal to have GMO food. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. It's like we've, we've yeah. lost our way so much. So I'm yeah. so glad there's people like you bringing this back. Well, Farah, thank you so much for your time today. And, uh, but more importantly, thanks to everything you're doing for horses out there. You know, I know Mercury, God, imagine what a life he would have had if he wasn't with you. He probably would have gone to the doggers a long, long time ago as an uncontrollable horse. So thank you for everything that you do for horses. And I look forward to keeping in touch and I look forward to hosting you out here in Australia for a clinic one day, because I certainly, uh, I certainly would love to see you back out here soon.
0: Well, I love my, I have my Aussie friends there and I would love to see all of them and see some new people. And um, we did a demo at Saddle World uh, probably five years ago, I think, or maybe. And um, yeah, and I love to go to New Zealand. I usually go there both at the same time, but yeah, we can figure something out and uh, Absolutely. I love to get get down down under again (laughs) (laughs) and thank you for having me and and i'll be happy to uh increase awareness of your your show also because i like what you're doing and we we all need each other to to improve and spread the word
1: we do and it's the groundswell and it's the ripple in the pond and we're all doing it and lives are changing just by me having this podcast and telling stories i'm not a trainer but this is what i can do and um, this is my choice to use what I've got to get this out there and, and it will go further in the future. But if we all just do our bit to give back to horses in this way, we can change the horse world and we can have a majority that this is normal. So um, so I think it's great and I'm very excited.
0: Yeah, yeah, I am too. I'm, uh, we're in the trenches together.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks again. All right. To connect with Farah, And her extensive online courses and information and videos, and all the amazing things that she's got on offer, you can simply follow the links in the show notes. I'm on a mission to create a community of gentle and ethical horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message, and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, Please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts, or tell your friends about the podcast. You'll find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who'd love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd also love it, really love it, if you get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine, so please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, if there's something you'd like me to research more and really speak about, at length or even just in a short way let me know i'd love 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 to serve you guys more anyway thanks again for listening and i'll catch you next time on come along for the ride